One of the best things in my life that ever happened to me was getting my teeth knocked out. <laughs> and so as the manager, occasionally there's, we only carried 13 guys on the team at the time. And so occasionally there's people sick, they're injured. So one or two days a year, it's like, we need a body. Foreman, get in there. Welcome back to the Underdog Podcast with your host, Kyle Decker, and myself, Calvin Blackman. Before we get to tonight's episode, do us a favor and check out our new website, www.theunderdogpodcast.com, and be sure to sign up for our weekly underdog newsletter. Now, on to this week's episode, Eric the Equal Man Qualman, a five-time best-selling author, voted second most likable author in the world behind Harry Potter's J.K. Rowling. Equal Man is also known as a keynote speaker who's performed in over 55 countries. Listen while Eric tells us that getting his teeth knocked out as a Michigan State basketball player was the best thing that's ever happened to him. So without further ado, it's the Equal Man. No, honored to be here and join your listeners as well. Appreciate it. Yeah, no we doubt. just we actually had before we get, we just had Jay Billis on here, and you have the bragging rights, Michigan State. Just beat Duke. So being a former Michigan State grad, congratulations. Your Sparties are on the move. They are on the move. That's the first win for Coach Izzo, my old coach at uh, Cameron. So super pumped. I love Jay Billis. So that's great you had him on the show. I have to listen to that. Yeah, you guys actually should play like some one-on-one. I know you're like 6'6", and uh, he's got to be right in that 6'6", six, six to 6'8", six, range. You, will you guys play some one-on-one or what? Yeah, we could do it. Yeah, I think he's more 6'8", so a little bigger, <laughs> but I got a little more youth, so that should probably wait. <laughs> yeah, yeah. usually we leave the hot topic questions towards the end of the episode, but let's just start it off. Who wins on one-on-one to 10, you or Jay Billis right now? Ah, oh, do we have the Duke refs or we're just regular refs? Could <laughs> <laughs> he take a charge every five seconds? Oh, that is great. I saw you tweeting about that. So <laughs> the, Duke, um, the Duke refs. I yeah, love the it. Duke refs. I love it. I love it. Well, uh, let's let's get into it. So typically we go right into kind of the underdog story, but obviously with the communication going back and forth and, and um, you know, listening to your podcast and just seeing, you know, your body of work, there's a few things that you have brought up um, early on, you know, I, th- I think if there are just some interesting things that you like to do with questions and different things. And something we found interesting, we'll cover a couple of these. First is when you Google yourself, you know, what is a word that would describe yourself? And the word that I came up with myself would be unwavering. And for my partner here, he put effort. Um, and I guess our question is, you know, what is the significance of why you do that, uh, you know, early on when you when you interview or, or talk to someone? Yeah, no, I love that you do that. I mean, unwavering, I don't think we've ever gotten that word and we've gotten over 20,000 responses across 55 countries. Uh, but the exercise, it's a good one, just a thought process. But also I talk about people's digital stamps. And your digital stamps, anything you leave about you online, and it's comprised of two things. It's comprised of your footprint. That's what you upload. You might upload something to Instagram, TikTok, Facebook, what have you. But the more important piece is the digital shadow, and that's what other people post about you online. And collectively, that forms your digital stamp. And so we want to produce and protect our best stamp. And a lot of us don't give us any thought. So it's really that first step to make sure we're writing that goal down. So like, if someone were to Google my name, 
what's that one word I'd want to show up five seconds, five years, 50 years, 500 years from today. And so it's a great thought process to go through. And it's been awesome to see all the, the words come in across the world. And so I'm glad that you guys did that exercise. It's great. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. T Tiffany challenged us. Hey, and she you, was the... you actually won an award potentially, you know, that's, a, that's pretty good. He came up with a word that over all those instances, and I know you've impacted, I think 50 plus million people and, Unwavering, fifty million and can one, you, right here. You, can you explain unwavering, though? It's a synonym to loyal. Ah, okay. <laughs> Don't yeah. ask me how I got that, because then I'll give away my secret. But that's how I came up with it. Um, well, the funny thing is with that exercise, if I'm in front of a large stage or even virtually, when people email in words, some are like, "Ah, this guy's not going to look at it." We look at every one, and so they'll put something in there that you wouldn't want your mom to read, and then they. <laughs> I'd love to see them physically blush. I don't see them, obviously, but when we fly back, you go, ah, that's an interesting word. I don't know if you want that. And they're like, oh, I'm so sorry. I just thought you are like a bot. <laughs> Not a bot. <laughs> We're real. Um, second one, the superhero stance. Can you elaborate on what that entails for our listeners? Yeah, the superhero stance, I think it's huge during this pandemic is that a lot of us don't take action because of we're afraid to fail. And obviously you guys played sports. A lot of us grew up on this misnomer that, you know, practice makes perfect, which is perfectly wrong. It's the proper practice leads to progress and improper practice can lead to the wrong kind of permanence. And so what we always want to do is when we're afraid to fail, which all of us face that at some point, it's how do we use our bodies to help our minds? And one way we can do this, because of my name, like first initial last name's Equal Man, so I do a lot of research on superheroes. And so we uncovered first from Amy Cuddy at Harvard, and then a lot of other universities have replicated this, and, and we've done it with audiences now in 55 countries. If you actually stand like a superhero, that it actually can help reduce the fear, because it helps reduce the cortisol in your body by up to 20%, which is the stress-inducing hormone. So literally today, if you're listening out there, and there's a moment where you're just not feeling it, and you've, or you're about to go and say a job interview, or you're about to meet with a prospect or a client. It's just stand like a superhero for two minutes. And so what that looks like is you just spread your legs a little wider than you normally would, stand up tall, put your shoulders breath back, take a deep breath, put your hands into fists on your side, and, and you do that for two minutes, it can help empower you. So it's really using your body to help your mind overcome a lot of that stress and fear, especially in 2020. Wow. Love that. Hold yeah. on. Let me, let me, let me try Get up. That. Let me see you do it. Let me see you do it. A little bit like this. <laughs> Two minutes. That's no, so good. You got to put them on your hips, like your hands on your hips. Oh, there, there we go. go. There we go. Coach him. Yeah. Coach his superhero -ness. There you go. And if you want to do the Wonder Woman, just tilt your head a little bit. I prefer the Wonder Woman myself, but. So like, like, like this? Like, there you go. All right. All right. Yeah. I got some work to yeah. do. I got some work to do. Yeah. There you go. It's funny. I was speaking at Comic-Con. For those that don't know, it's like the big comic. And it's like all people are dressed up like superheroes you know, on stage. And I accidentally mentioned you can stand like your favorite. It could be Batman. And by mentioning Batman, do, don't ever do that at Comic-Con because we had a 500 people waiting outside to tell me that Batman's not a superhero. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Word of the wise on that one. Yeah. <laughs> Lesson learned. Lesson uh, learned. Well, as I mentioned, you know, let's get into your underdog story as, as what we, you know, we perceive, you know, what started your trajectory into the, into the success that you're having now. Um, and it's, it's a rather interesting journey. You know, we're all former athletes. Um, and 
as my partner here, he's a former walk-on. And so he, he likes to talk a lot about that mindset of being a walk-on. And for you, Michigan State, three years, um, I believe it was three years, your freshman, sophomore, junior year, you worked relentlessly to make the basketball team and, and could never really crack a spot, but you were able to be the, the manager. But then something happened. Can you take the story from there as to what went on uh, following you know, that junior year? Yeah, no, I mean, quick backdrop. I was cut as a junior in high school from my basketball team, similar to like Michael Jordan. It's the only thing we share in common, but he was a <laughs> It didn't make varsity, but just so everyone has a backdrop of when I got to Michigan State, I'm like, I want to get involved. So I still love basketball. I still have that dream in the back of my mind to somehow play. Uh, but my freshman year, we were number one preseason in the country with Steve Smith. And I became the manager, which is water boy, for those that don't know. You do a lot of other stuff, but kind of like you're the water boy. That's what people would call you. And I kept having that dream, and I'd watch him practice and see. And then I'd put on weight. You know, I put on 40 pounds of muscle and just, like, started to say, my junior year, if I had known what I know now, I would have made the team. But I didn't have that conviction. Like, who am I? Like, I'm the manager. I was cut from my high school team. This dream's ridiculous. And then it just hit me that summer. I go, this is my last year. Most people don't know this, but even if you don't ever play, once you start college, your four years of eligibility start ticking. And so I go, this is my last year. And what do I have to lose? And so it's kind of that aha moment. And then I started to share that dream with others. Some laughed. And then others were there to pick you up. So those are the people you look around and say, you know, who's there to kind of for me to stand on their shoulders? And so by kind of verbalizing it and then writing it down and then owning it to the world and not being afraid to fail, like I mentioned earlier, then that was the tipping point. Um, and then from there, actually, the hardest part was to convince the coaches that I'd be better a better asset as kind of the 13th man than as the head manager because the manager does a ton of stuff by the time you're a senior. And they're like, well, who's going to do that thing? And so fortunately – Long story longer, I was fortunate to then walk on the team and then eventually got a scholarship that year as well. And so it's taught me and a teacher audience, you know, never give up. Never give up on that dream. And don't do what I did, you know. I should have verbalized that my sophomore year to have those people help me. And just don't kind of keep it hidden in a closet, even how big and hairy audacious that is. People are there to help you. And once you kind of say it, the reason we don't write it down is because we're afraid to fail. So there I am not writing it down, not telling people because I'm afraid to fail or get laughed at. And then the beautiful thing is probably that one of the best things that's ever happened to me was being able to make the team. Now, taking a step back by junior year, something happened for me, which looking back, the soundbite to it is one of the best things in my life that ever happened to me was getting my teeth knocked out. <laughs> <laughs> and so as the manager, occasionally there's, we only carried 13 guys on the team at the time. And so occasionally there's people sick, they're injured. So one or two days a year, it's like, we need a body. Qualman, get in there. And so they go, Qualman, get in there. I'm like, oh, this is my chance. <laughs> now I've put on this weight. I've been playing all the time. I play. I used to play against Coach Izzo all the time after practice. I couldn't shoot within 10 feet because it's so short. But we just play against each other all the time. And I'm like, this is my moment. And I'm just killing it, crushing it. I was like, oh, my gosh, this is it. They're going to go get this guy on the team. And then I take a, a random errant elbow, and it just hits me just right in the right spot, and it, it jarred some teeth loose. Now, keep in mind, I was born with two teeth missing, so I already had one fake tooth to make up for that lost space. So 
it hurt, but I thought when I kind of spit it in my hand, this gets a little gross, but I kind of spit them out into my hand. I'm thinking that's just a fake tooth. So I kind of just, I don't want anyone to notice. This is my moment. So I kind of <laughs> throw it near the bench where I can find it later. And I keep playing. And then 20 minutes, there's a timeout. And then the trainer comes over and he's like, what? There's like blood still coming out of your mouth. And he like looks in there and he goes, you've got two big holes. You've lost two teeth. Like you're not playing anymore. We got to get you in this car. You're going to the dentist. Uh, I won't bore you with the details of the dentist, but it already swelled up enough. They couldn't use Novocaine. So the guy's trying to put the tooth back in. I'll oh. tell you what, that is not pleasant. Oh. And, mm. But there I was in the dentist chair going, I can't believe this happened to me in my moment. What rotten luck. And then in hindsight, now as I sit here today talking with you, reflecting back, best thing that ever happened to me. Because the next day at practice, you know, we had Coach Heathcote and then Coach Izzo, and Coach Izzo goes, Kwame, I don't know if you're the toughest guy I know or the dumbest guy I know to keep playing, but maybe somewhere <laughs> in the middle. And then I realized as looking back that Izzo's built that whole program on grit and grinding, and that's the best thing that could have happened to me. It didn't matter – if I was lighting it up from three or playing amazing defense, it's like that's the guy we need to show others how to kind of grind it and just kind of stick to itiveness. And it's helped me throughout my career just to look back on that and go, hey, this is another kick in the teeth moment. Just keep going. Love it. Love it, man. I power the walk on, right? And I, I was fortunate enough to do the same thing and very blessed at Miami University to walk on and earn a scholarship halfway through my career. And I always say that a lot of the folks we've had on the podcast, Gary Brackett to um, we're going to have down the road, Pat Cavanaugh, the list goes on. And a lot of our guests were walk-ons or had to go earn it. Like you said, and like I said, that grit, that grind and nothing was given. You went earned it, right? Like you said, you, you were right there grinding and uh, you had the opportunity and then you still, they, they saw that toughness. And, and I love to hear that. I mean, what a, what a great story. Appreciate you sharing and then obviously that translated moving that story and those experiences at Michigan State, what you learned uh, at the, with the basketball program as a student athlete, how did that transition into obviously the success, you know, you're a five-time best-selling author, you're a keynote speaker, you know, all sorts of stuff. You're all over the world. You're well-known. I mean, like I said, I can't even believe you're here talking to us, <laughs> um, you know, and, and you're here. So how, can you explain, you know, what had transpired from there, building your underdog story and parlaying, you know, into the career you are now. Yeah, it's interesting. I think this will be helpful for your listeners out there as well, is that when I then I graduate and here I am thinking, oh, okay, I'm on the basketball team. I've got a great GPA. Here I am, hire me. And so completely unprepared, can't get a job, take a train to Chicago to do an interview. And so I go train from Chicago to Detroit, I mean, Detroit to Chicago, get there, don't get the job, but I love Chicago. So then I just talked to my buddy that lives there and he's traveling during the week. So I go, I'll pay you a hundred bucks to kind of live on your couch since you're not here. I'll sleep in your bed when you're not here. And now I'm starting to wait tables. I'm like bouncing at a bar at night and just sitting here with like a lot of folks, whether you just got out of school or whether it's a transitional period, because we all go through these transitional periods, these seasons. That's why I'm telling you the story because we all live the same movie. We're just different actors and actresses. And I'm like, what am I doing? Like, what, what, what now? Like, what happened? I was just, we were just playing Duke in the tournament we lost, by the way. Uh, <laughs> and now doing, what am I doing? What, what am I doing with my life? And fortunately, you keep at it, you keep getting involved, and then things will start to make a break for you. And so 
what happened was I took a job as an intern actually when I was at school to work on Cadillac. And when I came back, they gave me another job. So I leave Chicago back to Detroit and they're like, we need a website. And since I'm the youngest guy, they're like, Hey, you're young. Can you get us this thing called a website? And I love digital. And so I fell into it backwards and then I was in the digital space for so long. Uh, and then the big break for what I do now is I wrote a book called Social Nomics. And then that just happened to be the right place at the right time 11 years ago. And then I got up on stage. And again, underdog story is they asked me, hey, for the book, we need you on stage. Now, one of my, I went to graduate school at the University of Texas, and one of my classmates gave me one of the best compliments uh, this year. He goes, of all the 500 people we graduated with, you would have been the last person that I would have picked <laughs> to be successful at public speaking. Because even to this day, I have a tendency to mumble. And so what I would do is I always took Toastmaster classes, not so I'd present in front of tons of people, but just so I would people could understand me. And then the other thing that I did was, well, I was the head of marketing at Travel Zoo. We took that company, a small, tiny company, and when it went public, the owner is German, and he's not an outward-facing person. And so my role as chief market officer all of a sudden became, I got to speak to Wall Street and speak to the press. And I'm telling you all this story because it prepared me for the moment, which I never thought would happen. I write the book, go on stage, and then all of a sudden this guy in the audience is an agent goes, I don't know what you do for a living right now, but you need to do this for a living. And so that's what I've been doing for the last 11 years. It's been a wild ride. Um, and so you never know where life's going to take you or why a Toastmasters class will all of a sudden pay off. So it's all about always getting involved. I think that that you guys know this better than most with the underdogs. It's just making sure you just uh, stay the course, get involved. And then when that opportunity knocks, you know, kind of open that door. Yeah, no doubt. We're, we're, we saw the, some of those speaking fees. We just went like a one, one hundredth of that. So <laughs> we we're like way off of your level, but uh, no, just give me a hard time. That's awesome. Like I said, you're in, in just to, to relay that message, kind of, you know, go back in time, you know, started, like you said, you know, waiting tables, and then you started a you know website uh, helping others. And that's just translated into, you know, you saw something and you kept going, you saw something and you kept going. And I think that's, there's so much I've seen, you know, we started a company and have had to grow it from scratch ourselves. And um, we do staffing on the side and, and recruiting and we've had to go from zero. We're now at 110 employees. But what I say from that, like you have each moment in time to make that choice of how do you persevere through a friction point? And how, how did you like through that, like you said, you're a chief marketing officer, you've done this, you've done that, you've parlayed each opportunity. But have you ever been to that point where you doubted yourself and you were like, can I, obviously the public speaking, you were not comfortable, but what about some of the other items where you can maybe speak upon someone that isn't an adverse moment, how they, how you overcame, not just the, the public speaking, but anything else you, you faced? Yeah. You know, it's interesting. I think that most of us have this within us from a standpoint of like you talk to, you'll see someone interviewed like the top athlete on the field. So you'll see someone, the best wide receiver, name your favorite wide receiver that's in football. Like, do you think you're the best? DeAndre Hopkins. Yeah, I think I'm the best. Yep. And so you kind of have to have that. But at the same time, we all suffer from imposter syndrome, <clears throat> meaning that before I go on stage, I'm like, why am I going on stage? And so you need to understand I'm telling that because everyone experiences it. Like I've been, I could name like some big names that are backstage and they're nervous as hell. Sure. And because they're suffering through the same thing, because it could be backstage is a 
10 time Olympic gold medalist, but then they're going out in front of CEOs and they're saying, why will these CEOs listen to me? And so all of us suffer from that imposter syndrome. And then the other side of that is you need to be confident. So it's kind of that weird mix that we all live in that balance. So it's really about most importantly, understanding that balance. And so to understand that literally I could name some names, you just follow your chair out that they're like nervous backstage. And so they suffer from imposter syndrome. So no matter where you are in your career, that friction point or that self-doubt, just understand that we all go through that. Just make sure you don't live in that. Meaning when it comes in your head, go, that's okay. Even the best, the best that creeps into their head. Let me let have that creep out and then understand, let's get those positive thoughts into our mind because it can actually impact your performance, whatever you're doing, if it's all negative talk. And there's funny lines like if, if you were to hear everything that's going on in my, in my head right now, you know, you'd be institutionalized. You know, that's what Paul <laughs> Robin always says, like, hey, broadcast what you're thinking right now, like how you're beating yourself up. So don't be a black belt into beating yourself up. So understand those moments come into your mind. Go, that's normal. Everyone does that, even the best of the best. Let me kind of have that flow through. And just, I would say, be firm in your destination, yep. but flexible in your path. That, that challenge gets in front of you, like my teeth get knocked out. Go, I don't know why this is going to help me, but I know it is. That's a hurdle for me to go around and get back to my firm destination. So flexible in your path, firm mm -hmm. in your destination. Love that. Love it. Firm <laughs> in your destination, flexible in your path. And would you say like preparation? I mean, we've talked to a lot of leaders and persistence is one, but like preparation for that moment, does that help you as you prepare? And you're talking to millions of people throughout a year, you know, um, delivering, you know, great content and motivational pieces of how to help others, just like you're helping us today. Is your preparation, uh, you know, is that a huge piece of helping the imposter syndrome come down? Or is there any specific techniques that help that? The best technique for me is with that imposter syndrome or that nervousness is understand that those nerves help you. Yep. So understand that just flip it and change that word from nervous to excited. And so, of course, I'm excited. I'm going on stage. There's 10,000 people out there. Let's go. Let's make it happen. And so you turn that nervous into excitement. And even just the way you talk and speak and how you respond, like if someone says, how are you doing? You're like, good. Like you can trick your brain into feeling better. You don't want to be like a Pollyanna. Like if you're having a bad day, go, it's not my best. And then you can talk to them. But when you can, it's like, how are you doing? I'm doing fantastic, but I hope I'll be better this afternoon. And so it's not that you always feel that way, but sometimes you can use those tools to help you. But specifically, like if you're about to go in for a job interview, you're about to go meet some, maybe it's a significant other that you're having a first date on, it doesn't matter, is just change that nervous word into excitement. Love it, love it. Now, knowledge, great knowledge nugget. Oh yeah, no course. doubt, no doubt. Um, so your passion for digital leadership. So we, we have a passion obviously for leadership. Um, you know, Kyle obviously leading our company and then, you know, us doing what we're doing with the podcast and some other things and leadership. And then obviously having a sports background, leadership is something that is near and dear to our heart, but digital leadership, to be honest, was something that I had never had never really heard that, that phrase until obviously starting to do some, some background research on yourself. Um, can you talk about digital research or digital leadership and, and you know, the innovation from it and, and future trends? Yeah, so the genesis of digital leadership and then the book Digital Leader, because I wrote Socialnomics, right. and then I'd go around kind of the world, work with companies, and then I started to realize, whoa, 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 these folks, we're like getting in the weeds on this stuff, and they don't even have the basics. Like the world has shifted. And so we wanted to do the research around like what's 
leadership look like in a digital age? And beautifully, fortunately, like 80% still core, but some has just a different digital lens, meaning like if you're a CEO, like how do you have to be on LinkedIn? You don't have to be on there, but if you're on LinkedIn, what does that look like? And so at the end of the day, when you think about digital leadership, people ask me to define it in one sentence. I always say it's just empathy. Can I put myself in your shoes, whether you're a customer, a prospect, an employee, or a shareholder, and that's it at the super highest of high levels? Uh, as you dig a little deeper, all digital leaders understand it's that marriage, it's that harmony between Flintstones and Jetsons, that it's that mix of the two and that marriage of the two. Can't replace face-to-face, even though the world's forcing us to do that a little bit right now. Uh, but when time and distance are an issue, and in this case, safety, how do you use the Jetsons? So it's the combination of the Flintstones and the Jetsons. Yeah, and appreciate that. And, and talking about some of the, you know, adjusting in the digital media space. And I know we've, we've talked with a lot of folks that are maybe keynote speakers like yourself. How have you adjusted with the adversity of the lack of travel, the lack of gatherings? I mean, obviously coming onto a virtual space, how have you pivoted and uh, take that event and with your response and, and how is that going from an outcome perspective? Yeah, it's a great question. So there's a lot of bad things going on across the board that are much bigger than our business, obviously. But when you talk to the keynote world or conferences and hotels and airlines, I mean, it's pretty dark stuff what's happening in terms of just the business side of it. But you can't dwell on that because that's not doing anything for you. So it's like, acknowledge it, that's rough. And then what are we gonna do about it? And so we've been fortunate because we're already doing virtual before virtual was a thing. So we were ahead of the game for most, but obviously it would really help us if live events came back. But we don't sit around and wait for that. So we're sitting there adjusting, what can we do? Uh, And so we've pivoted, we've had animation studio, which we spend more time on with that. And so it's just about making those adjustments, understanding how you do virtual. There's a lot of silver linings to virtual. Um, Like you can engage better in terms of the Q and A sessions. I don't have to fly anywhere, which is good. So you can do like five events in one day. Um, so there's a lot of upside to it. So you've got to look for those silver linings. Again, you're not being a Pollyanna. You're not like saying the world's all rainbows and unicorns, as my daughters would say. It's, okay, that's tough. What are we doing? And then start to look for that innovation that, that's there and available. And when live events come back, because they will, because we're just, by nature, we like to be face-to-face is that then it's gonna be a glorious day because now you have this virtual component. For example, if, unfortunately, knock on wood, I've never missed an event, I can tell you some good stories about how I physically got on stage somehow planes, trains, and automobiles. But <laughs> now, if I were to miss an event, because it happens, I mean, flights get delayed, it's a snowstorm, what have you, insert chaos here, is that they're now before they're like, no, we don't want like a talking head on Zoom in this giant conference room. Now they'd be like, okay, he's trapped there. Let's just, yeah, have him go from his hotel room, fire up the Zoom. So sure. there'll, there'll be some great things that come out of this. That's awesome. You're talking about transportation. I saw you flying around in a, in a jet on your website. I think it was a, you know, a, a fighter, fighter jet. F, some, F something. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we were, I was reliving the, yeah. my G4. I went to Disney World. And I think that's a, another Good conversation turn. piece, I, I, but I went to Disney World and I was doing that where you're flipping around in the, um, the, the you know, uh, I guess a space, a space experience. Yeah, I'll tell you what, yeah. I got out and I started dry heaving. It was bad. So I don't know how you felt with the G-force going up in that fighter jet, but man, God love you. I'm sure you were good because 
you're like Superman. Like I said, you got the, you probably did the Superman before before, and, you, before you got in. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I love no, that. I came, I came close. I mean, first of all, those fighter pilots, wow. So most people know the Blue Angels. That was the Thunderbird, so it's the Air Force version of that. And so it's, there's, what I loved about it, this is what I love about it from a business standpoint, because you show up and the guy's like, hi, I'm Wolf. I'll be taking you. I'm like, Wolf, of course. You know, this guy's like super ripped, buff. He's got the glasses. He's driving in a Mustang. And we're driving the Mustang. And then he, right when we enter the tarmac or the, the you know, where the flight's going to take off, he stops and he gets out and he's like looking around his tires. I'm like, what's this guy doing? He gets back and he goes, sorry, I got to make sure there's like no little rocks in here because the jet will like, like a vacuum cleaner will suck up the rocks that come from this this car. And I'm like, ah, I guess that sort of makes me feel better that you're checking that. But at the same time, anyways, yeah, he said that 20% get sick, like they, they, they throw up. And then 50%, wait, yeah, 50% black out. And I came close to black, both. Like I definitely almost, I started getting tunnel vision. They call it tunnel vision. I never, now I know why, because all of a sudden it gets really it's like gone. this. Yep. Mm. Almost gone. So I didn't pass out, which was good. And I didn't get sick, which was surprising because I had to drive five hours to get where I was going. It was, I was sandwiching this between speaking engagements. Like, hey, we've got a slot. I'd done a favor for the Air Force like a couple of years before. And this colonel calls me up and goes, hey, we got a slot with the fighter jets, but it's tomorrow. It's, you know, this thing, these things never come up. I go, I'm in. So there I am. <laughs> I drive up. And I, I was figuring there's some place to eat, but other than the middle of nowhere, Texas, there's nothing but deer. And so then I get to the base, and on the base, literally there's a Taco Bell. So I'm like, do I, I haven't eaten all day. Do I, what's better, to empty stomach? Or do I eat something? And I decided to eat something, and the guy's like, Dude, you did not have Taco Bell before you're going up on this thing. I <laughs> bet <laughs> Taco Bell if they're a sponsor. They're great. Oh, my yeah, gosh. It's a great experience. Long story short, thanks for the men and women that do everything they do. I couldn't be more impressed with that whole operation. Incredible. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. And, and, and uh, speaking of Disney World and, and Walt, Di what we saw was that you aimed to be Walt Disney one day. Is that is that, is that accurate? It is not to be Walt because, I mean, it's Walt, but just right. like you put out that BHAG, that big hairy goal. It's like I started to think like in my mind, it's like that person is putting smiles on people's faces long after they're gone. Yeah. So how great is that? So yeah. more like have an impact. How do we – and you put it out there because even if you don't reach it, you've done more good because you're striving to get there, right? You know, put that big hairy goal out there. And so that was the thought process. And we obviously have an animation studio and we're edutainers. And so – yeah, it's just trying to – how do we put a smile on someone's face today, but also long after we're collectively gone? You put yeah. it out there, just that, like you said when you were playing yeah. at Michigan State. Like, if you would have put it out there your sophomore year, you might have been averaging 18 by your senior year. Such a – Such a selfless goal. Mine was to own the Cleveland Browns, and you're just trying to put smiles on faces and be like Walt Disney, and I'm – Well, you're trying to put smiles on Browns' faces because yeah. that hasn't happened yeah. in – Easy. We're eight. What, what's our record right now? All right. Well, I digress. Yeah, we're eight and three. We're about to make the playoffs. So I think that, that that's the biggest selfless goal that you take on that kind of pain. <laughs> <laughs> I can get, say that get him. Hey, are you a Lions fan? Are you? We're kindred spirit. You know, there's yeah. a trivia question for your audience. Name, I think it's four teams that have never been in the Super Bowl. Ever been in the Super Bowl? Yeah. Well, the Browns won the 1964 World Championship before the NFL was. So the Browns would be one. I'm going to go with the Lions, Lions too. Yeah. 
maybe the now the Las Vegas Raiders three because <laughs> they've never had well, a new franchise. The Raiders, Raiders count because they're okay. still owned by the same. So we got two. Folks. Who else would not have made the Super Bowl? Four teams. Shoot, uh, Houston, Houston Oilers. Correct. Okay. Correct. All right, I got three. And who would the fourth be? Uh, no, Jacksonville. Did Jacksonville go? There Jack- you go. You nailed it. Jacksonville. Look at that. Mark, yeah. Mark Brunel couldn't, is- get, couldn't get over the hump. Man, with equal man. How many playoff games have the Lions won since 1960s? Less than the Bengals? <laughs> z- z- zero? One. One. Wow. So I got I – mean, so I'm a Michigan fan, uh, Wolverines, and I got a coach for you. If you would like to have uh, Mr. Jim Harbaugh, you guys can definitely have Mr. Harbaugh if you want. <laughs> I can't believe that. I thought that he'd crush it. It'll be interesting to see how that plays out because if not him, who? I mean, my parents both went to Michigan. I'm one of those Spartans that my Spartans are mad at me, but I like it's a great school, U of M. Obviously, we want to beat their brains in any time we play them in anything. But, um, yeah, I'm shocked. Yeah. I mean, if not him, who? So, we'll see. Yeah, one, yeah. one of our, our close friends, uh, Coach Fickle, who we have a good relationship, big fan of our podcast, Shout out to Luke Fickle. Unfortunately, turned down. He would have been a great candidate for the Sparties last year. And Mel Tucker, I've heard nothing but great things from other people. And uh, we'll see if he can get the program turned around. But you did beat did he, Michigan, lost to Michigan State this year. So don't let him give you this Michigan crap. So, you know. He's being nice. He's saying he wants to give us our, his coach. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I was just trying. I was, <laughs> no, that, that's not gift, nice. Gift of giving. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's get to rapid fire. I know we're, we're coming up on time here. Um, let's let's finish off. We do a little episode of uh, rapid fire to end a few. Actually, already ruined uh, question one, which is a fighter plane. I want to go straight to three. All right, go straight to three. So, watching your YouTube videos and th- love the glasses. Like when I was watching your YouTube videos, you remind me of almost like a Bill Nye the Science Guy from a leadership perspective. So, my question is not very difficult, but just where does that creative energy and juice come from? Yeah, no, I'll try to make this quick because it's lightning round, but I'll tell this because I think it helps the audience. And so the, the green glasses, to be honest, and it weighs into the creative piece you mentioned, is I resisted my story for 15 years. So with a name like Eric Qualman, first initial, last name, Equal Man. And so for 15 years, people at companies would be like, oh, the Equal Man intern, he can get the coffee. He's super fast. Or, oh, you need that report done over the weekend? Equal Man's super strong. And I did an interview with a magazine and they were doing a cover shoot and they said, Hey, we want you to wear some Clark Kent like Superman glasses. Cause you have this weird email moniker. And do you mind if they're green? Cause it's going to be St. Patrick's Day. I go, yeah, let's have fun. Let's do it. And then I fly a couple weeks later to Kenya to give a talk. And the night before I was going to adopt a baby cheetah at this rescue shelter, not to take home, you know, my wife would kill me, but just to support the shelter in the local area. And on the way there, the lady that I'm with, she kind of goes, well, we had the Olympian Usain Bolt here earlier this week, and he adopted from the same litter that you're going to adopt from. So we'd love to take some video of you and take his video. We're going to marry it together and raise money for the shelter. I said, yeah, that sounds fun. Uh, happy to do that. And she goes, but obviously when we're filming, we want to make sure that you have those green glasses on, your green glasses. <laughs> and I kind of pause and look at her. I go, I don't wear green glasses around like that all the time. I look like an idiot walking around wearing green glasses all the time. Uh, that was just for that magazine. And then I never want to see that look at anyone's face. And she said, no, everyone in Kenya, that's what they think you look like. And so 
it's another instance where things happen for me because now by wearing these glasses, it helps get the message out more. It reminds me to walk in discomfort. Uh, but it's just been one of those things to where, man, I can't believe that ever happened to me. And now audiences, they'll sometimes buy the green glasses. So it's crazy. <laughs> We're like, we produce green glasses. I mean, whoever would have thought that we'd be in the business of making green glasses. No, I love it. I love it. It identifies, but my, my, I have two young boys and they love Blippy. And Blippy, I don't know if you know about Blippy, but Blippy has, I know, I don't know how old your kids are, but the, uh, yeah, he, so he has like the orange and the blue and, and whatnot, but it's, it, it creates that, you know, imagery, as you know, and, and it just associates there. So. Blippy and equal man. Yeah. Yeah. We're yeah. Gonna... <laughs> well, Al, Al Roker, it's funny. I was in an interview with him uh, eight years ago. I was actually interviewing him. So an inverse, right? And God, I love Al. He's so nice. Like, he's exactly how he is on TV. And I had him. He was so good spirit. I go, hey, do you mind putting on some of these green glasses so we can take a picture and do some fun stuff? And he goes, man, these look good. I go, yeah, you look a lot better in those than I do. And he goes, do you mind if I wear these glasses? And I go, just don't wear green. And so, <laughs> true to his word, you'll see him. He mainly wears blue. But it was like, I like to say that that was the impetus. I'm sure he already had the idea in mind. But I'm like, man, those look really good on you. Yeah, well, fantastic. Awesome. Um, you want to do the the number four? You got number four, and I'll finish with five. Blossom. That's all. Blossom. Blossom. Yeah, blossom. It. People don't love us because we're perfect. They love us because we're perfectly flawed, whether as an individual or as a company. And so, when we have kind of those digital lemons, make digital lemonade out of it. How do you do that? What does a blossom person or a blossom organization do? They say, "I made a mistake." Here's what I'm doing to fix it and then follow through and actually fix it. So again, be as flossom as possible each and every day. Love it. Love it. So you were two of four in your career on the free throw line. <laughs> have, have you been working on your free throw game since you left Michigan state? Well, here's the crazy. You could ask cause it's going to sound like I'm blo the one thing that I did well, like the only thing that I was the best on on the team was free throw shooting. <laughs> That is like, we'd shoot a hundred a day and it's like, if we had to run lines, the team would pick, all right, you get to pick one of the players. Who's going to shoot them? They're like, Kwame going to shoot. Everything else, I wasn't even close to being the best at. And so by one excuse, I missed both those free throws at Wisconsin. It's an, it was an old arena for the Cole Center. So I'm literally sitting a foot from the door and the door is being opened every second. It's like 50 below out. And we're getting smoked. Like Michael Finley broke the record for three-point shots in that game. So then their student section starts chan chanting my name for me to get in. So their student chanting, chanting my name. And then so the coach comes down and gets me in. I get fouled within about two seconds of being in the game. And the crowd's now getting quiet because they want me to make the shot. And I'm sitting there going, I'm freezing. Do I even want to make this? Like, I don't want this – Students actually go nuts. And so, anyways, I tried to make them, but they clanked both of them. And we got in the locker room, and the coach was like, that was a disaster. They go, the only thing we're doing well is we were 19 for 19 for the free throw line. So, Quam and Mitchell. <laughs> well, we were taking a poll here at, at Chatterbox, and we were, we were saying uh, he had to shoot a three-pointer, right? Because you walk in at the end of the game, you had no no – your eight points was was three field goals and two free throws. And then we're like, he was two of four. I was like, he had to be. We thought you were automatic at the free throw line. Anyway, we had to give you a hard time. I know that's a long yeah, time ago, true. but that's it's awesome. Hard time. The shit. It, it, I always show this. I've got this tape, and it's without a context. They don't have the score. 
And so I got in my last game, Big Ten against Indiana. It's the game where Bobby Knight headbutted Sharon Wilkerson. So it's a famous game because he headbutted his, one of his players. And uh, I got the ball and drove the lane and then hit a prayer of a shot. Like, I still don't even know how I did it. And it went in. And it looks like that was the game-winning shot because the score's down in there. But we're up by 12. But everyone's so excited that the crowd's going nuts and then the teammates are piling on. It's like, yeah, that looks like I won the game winner to send us to the tournament, but we're up by 12. Yeah, I love it. <laughs> Last question. If we ever had a goal of ours to have Tom Izzo on, if we get Tom Izzo on, what should we ask him? Oh, man. you got to ask him accordion. He loves playing the accordion. Hmm. Okay, interesting. So a lot of people don't know that. So he's a youper, Upper Peninsula guy. So salt of the earth, man. That guy's great. Yeah, I would love to uh, – I mean, I love to everything that I've seen from him and yeah. we've heard, and uh, we would love to uh, – we're going to have to send him your episode and say, hey, man, we got the legend on. I know he was assistant coach then, and now he's a head coach. So we're going to say, hey, we got we got Billis. We got we got a couple other guys. We got Qualman, you know. Yeah, I think oh. Billis did his intro at the Hall of Fame as well. Yeah, we'll have to connect the so dots. They're, they're super tight. Ask him about his garage, too. He's got a fully pimped-out garage. <laughs> How big is it? <laughs> Huge. I mean, he's got two industrial strength refrigerators. He's got a golf simulator. He has a couple plasma screen TVs. And it's super organized. Like, it's a working garage. He does – it's a youper, so he knows how to fix everything. Gosh, love him. Man, that's, that's just Qualman, makes, you're, yeah, yours just makes me like Izzo more. All right, and Qualman, you're the man. Oh, I love Izzo. Izzo's the best. Yeah, so how, how do people – we really appreciate your time. How do people uh, engage with your message? I know uh, – equalman.com what else, what social handles anything we can leave with our our listeners yeah no thanks it's equal man across the board we're trying to empower seven billion people to their best life by 2030 so anything we need you to help us spread that message so yeah it's just equal man across the board if we can help in any way let us know yeah awesome. we will man you you fit our message what message well and yeah. inspiration and i'll tell you what i'm, I'm revved up after Love talking to you <laughs> i'm ready to go i'm ready to roll so uh, hopefully i don't get my teeth knocked out like you but uh Nonetheless, you know, yeah. we, we, uh, they look great, by the way. Those, the, the, everything looks good. So, whatever. Yeah, fortunately, they're the lower. They're the lower. <laughs> so, we got luck. Well, good stuff. Well, best of luck. The best is ahead. And uh, you, will, you will impact 7 billion. 7 billion? Is that right? 7B with a B? 7 billion. Yeah, we're kind of underachievers, right? There's 7.7 .7 in the world right now. It's like setting that bar low. All hey, right. When, when you're Walt Disney, the next Walt Disney, like I said, you can't replace that. But when you're that that stature, don't forget about the Black & Decker here, okay? So <laughs> There we go. I love it. That's good. <laughs> All right, brother. All right, Eric, Thank man. you so Appreciate much. Appreciate it. Thanks for your time. Yeah, have a good one. All right. Yes, sir. Thanks. All right, you do the same.